Well, good morning. Our speaker today is Ron Blue. He's one of the world's leading thought leaders in um, the Christian worldview and integrating it with personal finances. Now, I know that a lot of college students think personal finances, I have no finances. <laughs> but I also know that the decisions we make financially today impact us for years to come. So we're delighted to have Dr. Blue with us today, and I'd ask you to do two things. One is lean in and see what God might say to you. And secondly, welcome Mr. Ron Blue to the stage. God bless you, Ron. Thank you, John, and what a joy and treat and privilege it is to be here. Uh, I've been here now for about five years in the sense of coming in and out. I hadn't heard of Indiana Wesleyan six years ago, but I was in London in June of uh, 2011 and uh, at an event that I was speaking at, and it was co-hosted by, by Indiana Wesleyan University. I met Dr. Wright, and he invited me to campus, and I left campus, and I thought, wow, I didn't know anything like this even existed. This is such a terrific place. And we've been privileged to... Um, start the Ron Blue Institute here that is spreading across the country, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. I asked uh, Jennifer, who had contacted me about speaking, I said, well, what's my role? What, I, I've not, never been to a college chapel service, so what do I do? And she said, well, you're the principal speaker at chapel. So I'm a numbers guy, and I looked up the word principal. And that's what's left when all the interest is gone. <laughs> so, it takes a while. I've got to let that one sink in. I want to share a story about a detective that I grew up with, fictional character, Sherlock Holmes. And you may have heard of Sherlock. Uh, to set the stage for what we're going to talk about. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip, and after a good meal and a bottle of red, they lay down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes woke up, nudged his faithful friend, and said, Watson, I want you to look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson said, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Sherlock, being a detective, says, well, what does that tell you? After a minute of pondering, Watson said, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three in the morning. And theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Holmes, and he was quiet for a minute, and he says, what does it tell you, Sherlock? And Holmes was silent for about 30 seconds and said, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> now, there's a point to that story. And the point is this, and this is the point of what I want to share with you. Our perspective drives everything. So what I see comes out of my perspective. And so we're going to talk about money, but you need to understand that the perspective 
drives everything. I've been in the financial services world for almost 50 years. In fact, I'll soon be 75 years old, and I retired 30 years ago, and now all I am is tired. But a friend of mine said that he interviewed somebody who was 100 years old, and he asked him what the one thing he had learned at age 100, and he said, I have no peer pressure. That's where I'm headed. And the older I get, I'm typically the oldest guy in the room anymore when I speak. And peer pressure is less and less. I don't feel any peer pressure from you. I know what you don't know. <laughs> and I pray for you. <laughs> I've got four grandchildren in college, uh, so I know a little bit about that. Judy and I have been married for 51 years. We have... Thank you. And uh, we had five children. We had three girls. Then I became a Christian. We had two boys. And now they have 13 grandchildren. Yeah. I don't know whether that's a blessing or a curse, but we won't go there. But in 1981, a long time ago, uh, I had made 11 trips to Africa. And... Uh, I had taken a group of uh, people to Africa with me. We were about four hours outside Nairobi. I want you to look at the mud hut that's up here. We were visiting with this African pastor, and I said to him, I said, what is the greatest barrier to the spread of the gospel in this part of the world? Now, I'd been there enough that I knew that tribalism was a real issue. I thought communication would be an issue, transportation, finances, uh, many, many things that could have been the biggest barrier to the spread of the gospel. And here's what I want you to hear, because this is a perspective that will change your life. He said, Ron, the biggest barrier to the spread of the gospel, and he lived in a hut just like this. That's not the hut, but it was one, uh, one room, five children, mud hut, that's roof. He said, the, the greatest barrier to the spread of the gospel is materialism. Now, you look at that hut. I said, materialism? I thought that was a disease of America. And he said, no. He said, if a man has a mud hut, he wants a stone hut. If he has a thatch roof, he wants a metal roof. If he's got one acre, he wants two acres. If he's got one cow, he wants two cows. Your perspective is everything, and materialism and money is both an entry into the heart and a revealer of the heart. It's the one objective determination of where I am spiritually. Now, you all probably don't manage many uh, checkbooks and credit cards and tax returns and so forth, but I've done that for a long time. And I tell people this. If you let me look at your checkbook, your credit card statements, your tax returns, I can tell you what your goals in life are, what your priorities of life are, are and what your values are. We sang about the preeminence of God, terrific music. And as I was thinking, he is preeminent, and he's preeminent in everything. Why would finances be an exception? Because I was, frankly, uh, I thought, why would you speak about money in a chapel service? 
But I think there's good reason to speak about money in a chapel service, better now than 20 years from now when you've made a lot of mistakes. And I want to help you think through how to avoid that. As I think about where you are, you're thinking about careers, graduate school perhaps, ministry or vocation, marriage perhaps, living on your own. Uh, and you've got a lot of decisions that are in front of you, and they all come at you in some form or another as an economic decision. But it never is an economic decision. It's a decision that has economic consequences. It's like people ask me all the time, uh, should I send my kids to a Christian school that's going to cost such, 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 such? I say, you know what? It's not a money issue. It's a values issue. Money is a consequence of the decisions that you make. So never lose sight of the fact that money is only a tool, it's only a test, it's only a testimony, it's not the goal of life. It's a tool that God gives us to manage life. Our perspective is everything. Now, it, there's a problem uh, because there's a lot of confusion out there. And if you want to look at this uh, slide... Uh, what you see is a thousand-piece puzzle. And Sharon, this is what you showed me last weekend. And this is what it depicts to me, that this is how life comes at you. This is how money comes at you. Uh, every one of us will see 3,000 advertisements today on the average. Every day we see 3,000 advertisements. Every single one of them is trying to convince me that I don't have something I need. And therefore, I need to spend the money to get what I really need. That's the way it comes at us. So how in the world do you, do you sort that out? If we look at the next slide, we see what the puzzle looks like. So the objective is, and we'll finish here in just a few minutes, but I want you to look at the puzzle, the pieces, but envision the end. And that is something that looks like it should look. It's pretty. It's beautiful. It's complete. And you know what? If there's one piece missing, it's incomplete. You've got to have every single piece. To use a spiritual analogy, the Bible says, number your days and I will teach you a heart of wisdom. It doesn't mean count your days. It means to number them. So there's a thousand pieces on that puzzle. You've got thousands of days to live. And are you numbering those days? And money is one of the ways that you're going to manage all of that. Um, and I want to help you. And I'm going to give you a statement here that after 50 years on Wall Street, practicing as a CPA, practicing as a financial planner. I've written books. I've, I've been in the financial world. I've probably answered thousands of questions on radio programs. And here's the conclusion I've come to is I have counseled people. If you want to put the slide up that has the definition, here's my conclusion. A biblical approach to personal finance is the only rational approach to money management. And I'm saying that not as a preacher. I'm saying that as a financial advisor and planner, that the only rational approach to money management is understanding what God's Word has to say about money 
and managing your life accordingly. Now, we still have the confusion factor, and we're going to take a look at that. But what I'm going to give you, and what you have in your hands is that card. I'm going to go over that card in just a few minutes. But that card is applicable for the rest of your life in terms of managing your money and making the decisions that you have. Here's what I tell people. If you follow biblical principles of finance, you know this. They're always right, they're always relevant, and they're never going to change. I don't care whether you have a billion dollars or whether you're deep in debt. The principles are the principles are the principles. So, uh, Matthew 24, uh, or Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27 is a familiar passage, and it's the passage of building your house upon the sand and building your house uh, upon the rock. And what it says in there, he who hears these words of mine and acts on them is a wise person. He who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them is not a wise person. I believe this that the way that we handle our money is a reflection of our spirituality. And I want to put a slide up there of an iceberg. And this is the, this is the reality. And the iceberg says this, that below the waterline is 90% of the iceberg. That's what I believe. And what I believe is what I do, that's my behavior, that's the 10%, and that's what people see. I'm going to come back. Your perspective is everything. Now, I can tell you as a financial professional that God's work, word works at all times under any circumstances. But you're going to have to experience that yourself as you make those decisions. But I want you to hear on good authority that that's the truth. It works. I've met with billionaires and I've met with people deep in debt. And God's word doesn't change for the billionaire or the person deeply in debt. It's still the same. Things don't change as you have more kids, more wealth, or whatever it may be. Here's reality. John Steinbeck was an author. Uh, who lived in the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And in November of 1959, I was a senior in high school in Lafayette, Indiana. And I don't remember this. I heard about it many years later. But he wrote a letter, John Steinbeck, a very respected man, he wrote a letter, was quoted in the Washington Post. He wrote the letter to Adlai Stevenson, who was the uh, ambassador to the UN at the time. And here's what he said as a part. He was talking about Christmas, and he said, a strange species we are. We can stand anything that God and nature can throw at us except plenty. If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much, and I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, rich, and sick. Now, take my word for it. I've lived through the greatest run-up of wealth that the world has ever seen in any culture, and what I have seen is a corresponding decline in morality and a decline in ethics, a decline in a biblical perspective, a decline in generosity, a decline in compassion. We have a nation right now that is sick, 
And it's sick, not because they have money, but because they have the wrong heart. And you're coming out of a school that is giving you eternal wisdom, supernatural wisdom. And people have terrific fear. And I found this, the more you have, the more fear you have. I'm not saying it's wrong to have more, but I'm saying this, that the more you have, the more you fear you have. Why? Because as you hold it, you have the fear of losing it. The only way to experience financial freedom is to open your hands and let God take out whatever he wants to take out and put in whatever he wants to put in. That's the key to financial freedom. That's the right perspective to have. God, I may have hurricanes of life, but God, you are wise, you are sufficient. Here I have what you've entrusted me with to be used. And when I go like that, I've lost my freedom because now it controls me. I want to show you a, um, a three-minute video. Uh, and this three-minute video is, is the card that you have. This is a video of that card, basically. But this three minutes is going to give you the fundamental, foundational perspective from a biblical perspective on how to think about money, first of all, how to act with your money, and how to communicate with your money. And we've put this together. We Actually, we put it together for high schools, but I said, you know what? Universities need to hear it. Seminaries need to hear it. Churches need to hear it. The professional world needs to hear it because it's right it's, and it's relevant. So let's Look at that uh, video for three minutes. There it is. Now that's three minutes, but in, when teaching it in high school, we take six weeks. We take it in universities, it takes six semesters because they're a little slower. And when we go to church, we don't even try. Not true. That's the summary of the message about biblical approach to money and money management. Now, you can take each one of those pieces and slides and so forth and drill down on them because there's a lot there. But I wanted it to be summarized uh, for you, and it is a way that I think I can help you think about uh, money and money management. And you need to know this. This is the only university in the country, Christian university in the country, that is teaching a biblical approach to money management. Every other university is teaching financial literacy or financial theology. They're not teaching you how do you make decisions with God's resources. And that's what the Lord has allowed us to do. Now, I know this from years of experience that you can give information, but the reality is everybody wants to know, okay, I get it, I get it, I hear it, but how does that apply to me? Do you not know how much student debt that I have? In fact, there was a consumer report uh, out a couple of months ago that said the worst decision I made was to go to college because they ended up with $150,000 worth of college debt. So <clears throat> debt, everybody's situation here is unique. You come from different parents, you come from different places, you come from different pressures, come from different churches, you come from, you're all unique. That's the way God <clears throat> wired us up. <clears throat> so I found over time that people need help. And uh, we have set up in the Ron Blue Institute, which is on the second floor at the far end, 
<clears throat> in Barnes Student Center, the Ron Blue Institute. We have offices, <clears throat> and we have four trained students that will counsel you. You can come with whatever question that you've got, and we've got multiple students that are already taking advantage of this. Feel free. We want you to leave with confidence in your money. And I'm going to have Griffin Horn from Ohio, who's a senior here, who's one of our coaches, come up and just share a couple of minutes of what he has experienced as a coach to you, to students, to encourage you that there are answers, there are people to help you with, their, with the answers. We can give you the outlines, but if you want to ask the specific questions, you need to come uh, to our uh, center. Uh, on the second floor. Griffin, if you would come up and share. Uh, he's one of our coaches. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Ron, for that introduction. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Griffin Horn, and I'm a senior finance student here at Indiana Wesleyan. Over the past couple of months, I've been able to take part in the introduction of a new organization on campus called the Nexus Financial Discipleship Center uh, that is run through the Ron Blue office. Uh, this office strives to guide students through a biblically wise financial decision-making model by establishing a scriptural foundation related to money and money management, providing consistent accountability, and by using available tools and resources. As one of the four coaches in the program, I've already been able to see the impact that Nexus has had on students that who are wanting to control uh, their own finances. I'm currently meeting with 10 or so students on campus, uh, ranging from freshmen to grad, grad assistants, and I've seen noticeable improvement in their spending habits, decision-making process towards money, and knowledge of the different options available to them in uh, financial topics such as budgeting and student loans. If any of you are interested in making the decision to better your understanding of your financial position, I would encourage you to talk to one of our coaches. Uh, Trent's up here with me. Um, and then we also have Kyle and Maggie. And then um, also schedule an appointment up in the Ron Blue office um, sometime this week, maybe. Uh, we'd love to help in, in any way we can, and I hope that I can have an appointment with some of you here soon. Thanks. Griffin, Griffin didn't tell you that he's made a million dollars doing this already. Just kidding. You know, I was testifying before Congress uh, in the early 90s, and uh, the senator uh, that was questioning me, <clears throat> his question to me is, what would you tell the American family about their finances? And I thought for just a second, <clears throat> and I said, what I'm going to tell him, he's going to laugh. So I said to him, Senator, here's what I would tell the American family. Number one, spend less than you earn. Number one, spend less than you earn. I know it's un-American, but spend less than you earn. Two, avoid the use of debt. Debt always mortgages the future. You, debt sounds attractive, but it's not. I'm not saying borrowing is a sin. I'm just saying that it mortgages the future. Third, build some liquidity or margin or financial margin into your life because the unexpected will occur. Absolutely will occur. 
and you don't know what it is, illness, loss of job, uh, transfer, whatever it may be, change of vocation. So have the emergency fund there. The people that are the most content in life are not those with billions, but those who have a financial margin. Research says that. Fourth, set your long-term goals because you can't accomplish your long-term goals except by giving something up in the short term. Now, we've had several students that have gone through the personal finance here. In fact, one of them was written up in Money Magazine that paid off all of his college debt within 10 months of graduation. And we've got more than one example of that. But what they had to do was to give up something in the present to do that in the future. Maybe they moved back home and, and worked for a while. Maybe they had two jobs. Maybe they delayed their career. Whatever it was, it cost them something. But within 10 months, they were free. They had not, the future was not mortgaged. And then I would add a fifth, and that is to give generously. The only way to break the power of money is to give, period. And I found that even uh, don't make it a tax-driven decision, and when you begin to fill out your tax returns, but make it a generosity decision. Give somebody something that is unexpected. The greatest joy I've had in life is giving some money to people at a gas station uh, who were pumping just a limited amount of gas because they didn't have much money, but to see the joy on their face. So give generously. The card that you have in front of you has what you saw in the video. Number one, God owns it all, and your behavior will always drive your belief. So if you believe that God owns it all, that will change the way you make financial decisions. Secondly, there's only five fundamental biblical principles. There aren't any more. There's some other biblical principles, but in terms of managing your money, those are the five. And you're all college students. You can remember those. Fourth, there's only five things you can do with money. Think of it this way. Live, give, owe, grow. Now, that's only four. But you owe two things. You owe debt and you owe taxes. So, live, give, owe, grow. Allocate your money among those five categories. And here's the problem that you're going to face for the rest of your life. Your pie is like this, and it may go to like this, but there's still only five things you can do with money, and, you're all, and they all compete with one another. It's like cutting a piece of pie if you cut a bigger piece, the others are not, it can't be as big. So in spending your money, you're going to put it into one of those five categories. My counsel is do your giving first. I tell older people, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Make that the first priority uh, of life. Set aside some money as a second priority to build that emergency fund and to begin to, to save for long-term goals. Avoid any type of consumer debt. There is zero way you can win with consumer debt. Zero. I don't care if you've got a 0% interest. If you have to take 0% interest to, buy, to pay back that furniture loan or that car loan, you have to earn enough money to pay the taxes, pay the tithe, to have what's left to pay it off. And it's immediately worth less when you put it in your house or drive it. 
So as a CPA, I can say this. That's really stupid. Here's what I would like. I would like for you to think about just the two big questions that we put up there. Who owns it? And how much is enough? And those of you that are going to get married, and when you get married, this needs to be a conversation that you have with your spouse. And if you answer those two questions, you will be set for where you're headed financially. Uh, and I consider it a privilege to have been able to speak to you at a tender age with a lot of mistakes ahead of you, but you're going to learn from all those mistakes. Thank you very much.